Welcome to the Pursuit Friends Church Network of House Churches podcast. I'm the planner and lead pastor, Brian Donahue, and I'm joined by Kristen All, who is the director and pastor of Network Ministries. We're excited to share about what God is doing at Pursuit Friends Church as we build this network of house churches. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of how God is moving and working in our midst, updates and news on our progress, but we really want to focus on sharing what we are walking through from God's Word each week as a church family. So grab a cup of coffee, your Bible, and join Kristen and myself as we share how God is moving at Pursuit Friends Church and as we discuss what we learned from our Bible passage this week. We're glad you're here. Stay tuned. Well, welcome to episode 21 of the Pursuit Friends Church, or Network of House Churches, as would be more appropriate, podcast. Uh, I'm Pastor Kristen, and with me is Pastor Brian. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Kristen. How are you today? I'm doing good, and I'm looking forward to uh, having continuing our discussion on the book of John, uh, getting right at the heart of who Jesus is and uh, who those around him um, knew him to be. So I'm excited about that. But at yeah. the moment, um, I am staring at a very large pile of snow. <laughs> you too. Yeah, it's weird. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah, that w- crazy, crazy weekend and um, uh, snow fell on Monday. We're calling it Snowmageddon, which I think we call it Snowmageddon even when we get only an inch or two in Ohio. Um, but yeah, are we going so, there, Brian? Are we going uh, there? We had a big pre-podcast discussion about the uh, superfluousness or necessity. I can't even say it. Uh, Snowblowers. I tried to get too fancy there. I couldn't get the word. <laughs> yeah, we we uh, uh, it got a little heated, folks. As Kristen and I were, as I was shocked to hear that Joe All does not have a snowblower. And that he and his future son-in-law were outside shoveling. Uh, God bless Stephen's heart for helping yes. uh, with that, of course. Well, he he but, didn't uh, want to be able to leave. So he, then- yeah, he wanted to leave sometime <laughs> that day. <laughs> That's funny. That's so funny. We could take that somewhere else, too. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I was in shock. As, as I am a snowblower, I, I believe in the purpose and the efficiency of snowblowers, even in two or three inches of snow. I, I was uh, busting Brian about how little snow two inches were, and I was holding up my glasses lens as a reference point. I think you can drive through two inches of snow, especially given that the climate means that it melts in a day or two. That We're not talking about this hard pack over the whole season. <laughs> Right. I just, I think snow blowers are worth it. And um, so we're, we're going to choose to disagree on this, um, <laughs> even though I got quite hot over it. And, and uh, um, I'm sure Kristen will forgive me someday for how heated it got about snow blowers. We can, we can talk about all kinds of theological issues, Kristen, and have differing opinions and still be very, very 
um, nice to each other, but I, you know, we had to stop talking about it, folks. Listen, uh, I have to say that only one of us was really upset. I don't have a snowboarder. I'm happy to not have a snowboarder. And I don't really think that me not thinking I need one is any kind of threat to anyone else. <laughs> oh, my goodness. No, I we have ha to we say, though. I will be mad if Joe hears this podcast, which he always listens, and then says that, <laughs> that he's Brian's right. Brian, because we, <laughs> we have been a snowflake away from getting a snowblower many times over our thirty years of marriage, but we do not at the moment own one. So, yeah, you know, more more power to uh, you, Kristen, as you are advocating. Uh, for more hard work for your husband, but that's another. Um, so oh, oh, that we, we were. <laughs> You're right. I I apologize. I apologize publicly. Um, uh, uh, but anyways, we we were talking as we were discussing um, this that we needed. To, we should have been recording our conversation about their lack of a snowblower, and uh, so now I guess we did that anyways. Um, and. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, no, but lot, lots of snow, lots of fun for the kids. And in our neighborhood, it was wonderful to see kind of the whole neighborhood out. It, it, a lot of the people with snowblowers, at least, out. And then a few people out helping shovel up to people's houses, you know, little walkways. And um, helping neighbors out and making sure everybody was good and could get, could get out of their driveway. Because our street actually did get plowed. Late in the morning, not super early, but late in the morning. Morning? Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. At our house, now we do know because we're on a, a little curved street and we're a cul-de-sac sac off that street. We're usually one of the last ones to be plowed, but um, Haley and Stephen were trying to leave and it got to be three o'clock and our street was still not plowed. Wow. And uh, we were, our, our driveway was done, but we were very concerned they were not going to get out of because you can't get out of the neighborhood. Um, but then, like you said, it was fantastic. One of our neighbors has a truck with a plow blade and had been working all day and showed up and plowed our street, cleared all of the ends of the driveways off, which was great too, because we were worried about shoveling that once yes. the finally did show up. So that is always that that's that time and time again I get the driveway um, uh, snow snow blowed. Is that, that's not even good English. I get the driveway cleared off with my snowblower. Uh, let me tell the story, please. Uh, <laughs> There's a good reason not to have a snowblower, because you can't right. even use the word. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, we're going to talk about something other than snowblowers, I promise, people, okay? But let me just say this. is is one of the most frustrating things is you get it all blown away you get your end of your driveway to the street and i'm one of those weird fanatics with snowblowers it also does the part of the street that the plow doesn't come through because our plows tend to come down and just do one path mm -hmm. and then they kind of do a little bit more than that coming back the other direction they have to come back two or three times to get the rest of the street so i'm plowing the street on all lengths of my house all the way to the grass. Like I'm even getting out into the street and I love this thing so much, Kristen. I could, I don't, I got to find a way to be able to use it during the summer somehow. Um, and, uh, so then the snowplow comes and, you know, has a whole nother level of snow then that you, without a snowblower shoveling that again is just so 
demoralizing for me. Maybe that's why I have a snowblower, is that the snowplow effect right there. Well, that's nice. They cleared out your, they didn't just come around, do the cul-de-sac, and then keep all that snow piled in your, in the front of your driveway. Well, that's not the, the city plows. The city plows absolutely do that. And I don't oh. blame them. We're at the end of a cul-de-sac. I don't know what else they could do in those big trucks. This was our neighbor who out of oh. the goodness of his house plowed our entire street because we had not been plowed yet. Oh, wow. Even then cleared everyone, the end of everyone's driveway so they could get out. So it was nah, a how nice is that? magical thing, yeah. Yes, it is. It's nice when neighbors look out for each other that way. Um, and do, it's just so, that's just, that's just cool. I love neighborly neighbors. I love. Had, I had another lovely neighbor moment this morning. So I was sitting at my desk, which looks out onto the cul-de-sac. <laughs> I do have a snow mound big enough to... Uh, sufficiently hide a car on the other side it is really <laughs> and um i was teasing jay who's 18 about how he and his buddy used to spend hours if that ever happened which it only did a, maybe a few times in his childhood they would just be out there forever sliding and building forts and um kind of reminiscing the, the oh i kind of miss the little boys you know who are out doing that when yeah. my neighbor and her little boys suddenly i look out there and i see this little this beautiful little boy sliding down with big grin on his face and uh, <laughs> just made by morning to yeah. see generation enjoying it's, this. It's, it, it, that is great. We Devin took the kids down. We, we live on a dead end street. And then there's in the center of our neighborhood, there's a road that goes divides it, but those are dead ends too. And uh, so the snow plows will come and plow those roads and they push all that extra snow right at the edge of those road roads. So, um, Devin likes to take the kids down with the sled and they packed it down and cause it's hot, you know, it's all the snow from the street. Um, and they slide down that. So she had the kids out there and Brody would stay outside all day long with a few breaks here and there, of course, for hot chocolate lunch and to use the restroom. But Peyton, she starts to get the least bit chilly. She's like, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> Where's my hot chocolate? I'm ready to go lay down with a good book. Um, so it was fun to see kind of the contrast. They both wanted to have fun, but as soon as Peyton gets, and I'm honestly kind of the same way. I'm less of an adventurer. I like using my snowblower, snow in my face the whole time, blowing back at me because I can't figure out the wind direction. I'll tolerate that, but, uh, going out and, and just playing and, and, you know, I got to yeah, work on that think. part of my fatherhood. Yeah. <laughs> Playing in the snow. Well, you don't have to be everything, you know, thankfully. Thank you. Yes. I feel better already. Yes. I don't have yes. to be everything. I've heard of parents who spent a lot of time trying to be everything, not that I would personally have ever fallen into that trap. <laughs> but I've heard that that can happen, and um, you, you do not have to be everything to give your kids a good upbringing. Right. Yes. Right. <laughs> so how was, how was uh, uh, your... Well, I guess I, I know how it was because I was there this week yeah, uh, you, via you, uh, Zoom. Jop Jen is a special guest this week. Well. <laughs> special <laughs> guest who talks too much. But <laughs> um, No, I was, we, we had, we once again, so people know we were online uh, because of COVID concerns and just making sure we're good. And um, uh, it, it, it just... I, we we had such a 
I I don't I don't want to seem like I'm bragging too much, but I'm just so thankful that God did what he did through the pandemic, the heart of the pandemic for us online through our Zoom calls that we can now it's even though there's a hint of d- disappointment and frustration, it is not heavy like it was when we first yeah. started. Because we know what this can be. We know, and I know for the listeners, you're probably like, oh, for crying out loud, we get it. You do Zoom really well, or you've got community there. You were able to figure that out, and it's good for you. Great job. Um, But uh, we we just have such good discussions and lighthearted back and forth, and like we do when we're in person. Now, is it exactly the same? Of course not. Um, you know, we miss deeply the being able to break bread together and have our meals together and hang out a little bit more like that. But um, it's just so good to be able to be together this way and talk about God's word, make it worth our time. We're not just getting on there to chit chat, although there's nothing wrong with doing that. Um, We actually do study God's word. And we've added, Kristen, the last two weeks, an element of reflective worship where I play music through Zoom uh, from Spotify. And most of us turn our cameras off, mute our mics, and worship and and pray. Um, We had some great prayer requests this week uh, that I need to share with you, Kristen, by the way. Um, uh, But uh, we'll do that after the podcast. And just good. I'm just blessed at how God shows up. Like we just need to take the limits off God and act like Zoom means God can't show up. So silly. Well, and you're right. There are definitely some trade-offs, some negatives, but there are also some positives. Like someone can just pop in for an hour and visit your home church. Right. And it's literally only an hour because you didn't get in your car and you didn't get all fixed up and. Um, it's fun to see a window into people's homes through their Zoom calls and yeah, their you rooms know, like, you know. You know, let me jump in real fast because we yeah. actually jokingly said, it, would it be fun one week or trade-off weeks of having each person walk through their home and show us their home, you know, just for fun, just, you know, whatever parts they want to show, of course, you know, um, I'm not gonna, you know, you must show us every room, you know, yeah, I um, might have to leave the church. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so weird and awkward. Had a good run. That's the worst. I don't know of a worse way you could end a church's run and like, how dumb would that be? If a, someone insisted, that's what everybody did, and we you lost everybody. We believe radical vulnerability, but unfortunately, <laughs> nobody could live up to that bar. So we... <laughs> no, but we go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. One neat family is left, and that's it. That's the only <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope my kids learn about Jesus good. <laughs> you know, I will say, though, Brian, on that, on that note, um, I was listening to someone talking about virtual stuff. I think it was in the business realm and they were talking about how, you know, there is a bit of authenticity that comes from these at home zoom calls, whether it's business or church that you don't really get when you go to the place, because when you go to the place, you put your best clothes on and you make sure you're all fixed up and you're kind of put your, like your, um, 
your armor on or your, you know, you suit up for the thing, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when you meet in people's homes, even for work, people are not as dressed up. They're not as buttoned up. You know, they don't have it. They're not as, it's just much more authentic. And yeah. um, there's something. You might see a little bit of the mess behind them too. You right. Know, just everyday real life. Exactly. The dog jumps on the lap, you know, somebody packs through the background. Um, there right. are some, there are some points that uh, we would be remiss to not enjoy about being online. So, yeah. So yeah. good. That said, uh, I'm done with the pandemic and I'd like <laughs> Amen, <But> sister. Amen. <laughs> I'd like Thanks. this to be a bonus instead of a, <laughs> a man. <laughs> Well, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you might want to open it up to the first chapter of John. We are continuing our study of this uh, amazing book, and we are still in the first chapter, which is the introduction to the book. And <laughs> It's worth it, though. It's worth it. It is totally worth it, right? That's how I feel. Uh, hopefully, uh, those in my house church also feel that happy with the pace <laughs> at which we are moving or not moving. So, <laughs> Brian, do you want to read uh, verses 19 through uh, 28, which is th this rest of chapter, first chapter, is broken into kind of four days. So uh, I thought we'd take our discussion a day at a time, just as a good way to sort of break up this narrative. Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I'm reading, for those of you interested, from the New King James Version, um, whatever impact that has on your lives. Uh, verse 19, now this is the testimony of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then he said to them, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am, quoting Isaiah 40, verse 3, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize, if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you, whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Nice. We kind of open up the story. You know, we've been in this, the first 18 verses are kind of this cosmic, uh, I imagine James Earl Jones voice reading this, you know, and you start to finally zoom in to this strange man, John the Baptist. <laughs> and here we are on the first day of the story, basically. Um, and it's just striking to me in, in verse 19 that whatever was going on with John was so um, impactful that the leaders are like, we got to get out there and find out what this guy is saying and doing <laughs> out in the desert. Right, yeah. I mean, I mean, he's out in the wilderness He's kind of weird, probably even to them in the culture of that day, and uh, yet his 
he's prolific, it appears. He, he is charismatic enough in his delivery and his preaching and his baptizing and what he's saying that it's drawing crowds. They're coming out of their towns, out of the villages, out of the cities to come hear him. And the religious leaders are like, we, like you said, we got to go check him out. So, so this isn't some shy, timid, you know, guy. This is a guy with some power behind his words that people are coming out and gathering around him. Yeah, it's certainly the power of God, right, is resting mm -hmm. on him. Um, and, you know, sometimes I'm amazed. Sometimes that comes through a powerful delivery. Sometimes it doesn't, but you have that moment of like, oh, wow, that's truth right there. What I just heard is, you know, shaking my world a little bit. And uh, definitely he's shaking some world here because they're, you know, they would, the Jews were looking for who's going to come and set everything right. So they're always looking for the Messiah and they're wondering, is he the Messiah? Like there's enough buzz around him that they're thinking, is, is this the guy, you know? Um, and John appropriately knows his role in the world and says, no, it's not me. <laughs> right out of the box. No, no self-aggrandizement here. No uh, thinking, well, if you want to think that of me, you know, I'm probably, but he's like, no, that's not who I am. Yeah. And they keep asking him then. Right. Well, if you're not the Christ. Are you Elijah? You know? If, okay, no, are you a prophet, you know? Um, and I love, like, like his, his response, too, is powerful because his declaration is powerful because he quotes Isaiah. Yeah. Something these leaders would have, it would have resonated with them. It would have made them go, okay, um, so there's someone else, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I love this. I'd love to park here for just a second because this moment where he quotes Isaiah just has so much weight to it. If you're a, if you're a Jewish believer and you understand what, what they would have taken from that is um, just so powerful. You know, uh, one of the commentaries I was reading was talking about how this is a moment where John is proclaiming like a new Exodus. That's what, you know, the connection here that God is going to redeem people from captivity as he had in the days of Moses, I, that just gave me chills to, to recognize the power of this moment that maybe is lost to me as a, you know, 2000 yeah. years later, modern reader, you know, that is amazing what, what he is, what he is connecting the dots there for them. Yeah. I, I think that's a fantastic illustration and uh, thing to compare Christian. Cause I, I think we, as Christians in today's world um, can tend to look at our Jewish brothers and sisters and friends and go, how come you, you know, looking back yeah. and yeah. going, oh my gosh, why didn't you see it? Well, you know, I like to say there's people that saw Jesus face to face, just, just like the Jewish leaders did in much of the nation of Israel. And said no to him to his face you know they heard his preaching they heard his teachings they saw how he was living they saw the miracles um and still said no but we we need to understand the incredible impact and importance of the exodus 
to the Jewish people and how powerful that is to them to this day and is part of why many of them missed Jesus originally is they were looking for that type of physical impact on their world and manifestation of a Messiah and Savior that way. And mm -hmm. so it should it should really soften our hearts um, and make us less judgmental and make us and it should make the this book come alive even more too this Bible come alive yeah. more to us um, because the Exodus was such a powerful experience um, yeah. and so this is what these Jewish leaders in the nation is looking for and so here's John the Baptist he's got. I like I like Kristen. You I said I used the word power, but you said that it's the power of God over his life, which is yeah. much more descriptive and accurate. And um, they're really like right now they're going, oh, okay, maybe we're living in the day yeah. when we're going to have our own exodus. So it's really this is a huge moment for. It's a huge moment. Yeah, one of the things I loved in uh, in the message, the way they translate that verse in Isaiah and in John is it's he is thunder in the desert mm. and i love that picture that word picture because that transcends um the background right like you know the desert is a place of in this case death and dryness and there's no life no hope and then you hear the thunder pealing right yeah. the, the, the life is coming it's going to be a revolution i mean there are things that bloom immediately once the rain comes in the desert where they just come alive. And um, I just think that's such a powerful picture of what John says. I'm the thunder. I'm not the rain. I am the thunder. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget one time in Utah, we lived, the first place Devin and I lived was much closer to the Wasatch range of mountains. And we were right below Mount Ogden. And, um, when you walk out the front door, it looks like you could throw a baseball to the thing, but it was actually, I don't know how many few miles away in, in reality. Yeah. Um, but there was one time and it was the only time I remember seeing or hearing or experiencing this in the mountains is it was in the winter time and there was this incredible rolling thunder and lightning in the middle of winter on the other side of the mountains in the valley on the other side wow. and you can see a whole range of mountains right there and it was so thundering i've never heard thunder like that in my life and it, you almost imagine like the mountains were coming to life having a snowball fight or something you know like it was this powerful yeah and i hear when you said like thunder in the desert like um it's such a powerful thing to me um, to think of um, how God is using John the Baptist now to prepare the way. Yes. Um, and there's some spectacle to it. Yeah, exactly. And in our house church, we had a lot of discussion about this idea of John as a messenger, um, thinking about situations in our current day where there are people that go before the main event, right, that are the thunder, um, and, and why would God choose, you know, what's the role that God has where he would send a messenger before and what are, because he, God doesn't do things on accident. And certainly John, the disciple thought it was very important to start this story with John the Baptist 
who is the messenger. Why is that important? Um, and th- we had a really interesting discussion about that. Um, I loved Aaron's illustration. He said, you know, like it's when you go to a concert or a comedy club and there's the show before the show, the warm-up band or the warm-up comedian who like <laughs> kind of gets everybody, you know, in the mood, gets them ready for the real show, the one they bought the ticket for, you know, that comes after that. And and in the, I was thinking about that too because I loved that analogy he used um, is – there's there's a difference here too in John's ultimate outcome and what his role is and his purpose and his place because we're going to see John the Baptist take a back seat take a go yep. from the guy out front with a lot of people around him um, even some of his disciples we're going to see are going to go with Christ mm-hmm. and um, when you think about that format of being an opening band or an opening stand up comic um, is those people have hopes and dreams that one day someone else will open up for them, right? That's the goal. They're they're thrilled to get that platform, but yeah. really people are there, most of them besides mom and dad and an uncle and aunt, you know. <laughs> right, um, right. Maybe a third cousin, you know, that um, is there to see them specifically. Um, most of those people are looking for a greater spotlight. John the yeah. Baptist, his purpose and role is to step out of the spotlight when Jesus arrives on the scene. So it's it's a great analogy, um, and it's made even more powerful by the fact that John is is going to step back here in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I love the, you know, the, the band analogy definitely helps with the part of, like, getting you ready to receive sort of the big music, yeah, you know, or the big yeah. comedy. But um, I also liked an analogy where you have someone, like I was trying to think of something in our present day. And I was like, well, it's like if the president's coming, he sends his top guy whose name you've never heard, but he has a lot of weight because he is preparing everything for the president to come. And you'll never see or talk to him again, but he's not trying to be the president. His job is to, to get everything ready so the president can come and do what it is he needs to do. It's probably better if it was a king or something, but we don't have kings here. So <laughs> I didn't think people relate to that. But, you know, it's like that messenger says, stop all of your regular stuff and pay attention and do the things to make the space to prepare the way for the big thing that's going to happen. You know, when the storm comes and you hear the thunder, you you, you know, get the supplies, you close the shutters, you know, maybe you put the rain barrels out. I'm imagining you wouldn't have rain barrels, but you know, like I'm trying to think of something productive you do, but um, I just, I just was fascinated and looking also at the pattern that God always sends someone before um, to prepare the way. And I think also as confirmation that what is about to happen, I really am in charge of, like, this is really from me because I told you this was coming. You know, and I think that's important, too. Yeah, so good. Well, let's keep going here. We're in uh, really more now into verse 24, where the Pharisees are like, well, (laughs) why are you baptizing then? (laughs) Basically, (laughs) if you're not all these other powerful people, why are you baptizing? And John replies again, I'm baptizing with water. But one among you stands you don't know, and he I'm not worthy to hold his sandals, which would have been a servant's job. Um, yeah, yeah. 
kind of how this this day closes out. I love how John the Baptist is just continually pointing to Christ ultimately in his responses here, and he's really putting it, like you said, Kristen, it's it's all out on the line there. I am so beneath the one who's about to come. Yeah. Um, and the, again, they would have related in their cultural context to, you know, man, he's saying he's not worthy to be down at the dirty feet of somebody in the lowest position. We, t- we talked around this too uh, at Whitmer House Church as we gathered online, and um, this was a real position. This was, you were pretty low on the totem pole if you were a household that had slaves or workers in it where you were in charge of taking the shoes or the sandals off of the people coming into the home and cleaning their feet. Um, And so this is a powerful metaphor he's using um, that would have impacted them. Um, And he's also putting himself in proper place probably internally too i would imagine mm-hmm. you know this isn't just for the people out there it's like so many <laughs> preachers yeah. you know I, at least i hope preachers do this is you know we internalize stuff you know i try to if i'm going to preach on a tough subject or have some yeah. hard stances on something like <clears> i'm going <throat> to make sure that i am processing this and working through this myself personally so that 100%. i can have some integrity here so I'm I'm wondering if that's part of this too. John is also he's not just telling this to the leaders; he's saying it for his sake too. Um, this is this is how big a deal Christ really right. is, <laughs> right? Yeah, because it feels good to have leaders come to you and say, "What's who are you? What's what's going on?" Oh, here? it feels so good. Yeah, <laughs> it feels so good. I mean, that's 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 oh, we could go we could go off on a whole nother rabbit trail there but um it right. does feel good in any city it feels good it feels good uh whether you're in a leadership role or not you're you're at work and your boss recognizes your hard work your dedication your creativity your talent you know your attitude all that stuff when when anybody recognizes you for what you're doing that you're doing a good job that they're to encourage you it feels good um, yeah and, and it's supposed to Right. Right. But, yeah. but but when we make that the thing that fuels us, instead of seeing that as God's provision and, and coming from Him for affirming us, that's when we get into so much trouble. You know. Yeah. And and John's John's role here is so interesting um, because he has to have so much spotlight. Like you know, so what right? if he's in the wilderness? And five people hear him proclaim the way and make straight the way of the Lord. You know, we're talking a lot of people coming out to him. He had to be charismatic enough, as we've already mentioned. He had to be a good orator enough. You know, like like he had to be able to give a good speech and a good preach and all that stuff. So um, there was something in him that God put there to position him and make him ready for this. And we appear to, it appears in the from what we read from these passages that John kept a good view of what his role was. And he stayed humble in that. And he embraced it too. Holy cow, Kristen. That's a good <laughs> word. He embraced it. Yeah. He embraced his role. Right. Instead of aspiring to be uh, something else, right, which is what we were talking about earlier. 
right? Be content with what he was given. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's keep reading, Brian. Uh, do you um, want to keep going 29 sure. through 34 here? Sure. I, I love reading the word of God out loud. It makes me feel like I'm in the theater. Um, <laughs> uh, let's me use flex that muscle. But uh, it, And it's the word of God. It's just good to read. Um, verse 29, right? Yes. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After he comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came, baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Wow, we could park here quite a while. <laughs> um, there are you know, there are a lot of sevens, groups of sevens in John, seven I am, seven signs. Um, and one of the other things are seven titles that God, that Jesus carries. And uh, we see as we're in the introduction, the first two of them here. So in this first few verses, uh, we see that John says that Jesus, as he's walking towards him, is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And um, what a beautiful and poignant title that is. Right. And it's one of the main reasons Christ came. Right. And, and I think John is actually saying something very powerful and telling, although they may not, maybe didn't pick it up all the way. He's coming to take away the sin of the world, not to free them from Roman dictatorship and control and um, at least not short term <laughs> right yeah um and so this is this is a theological point he's making you know this is this is the per this is a purpose statement for christ to take away the sin of the world and and to use the word the lamb of god is important there too you know right Exactly. And I think that it's uh, helpful to talk about that for a moment, even for those who maybe are not as familiar with the Bible. You know, um, the Jewish people, in order to be able to approach God and to be on, in a good relationship with them, had to make sacrifices to cover the ways that they were not perfect um, in order to have that fellowship. And so the way they did that was through animal sacrifice. And so the lamb here is talking about a sacrifice made for the serious offenses, just like you pay a serious fine if you violate a law or something. It's the same kind of idea here to make, to satisfy justice and make you be able to be in relationship with God. Um, and in the Old Testament, they had to do this over and over and over and over. And that's one of the things that dis distinguishes Jesus is that he was the ultimate sacrifice and that that is no more. We're going to do this once and then it's over. Yeah. And that's that's something if we, um, maybe I shouldn't speak for you, but for, for me, if I lived back in this time, I'd have to do it over and over and over again. 
You know I would I mean? have never left the place where you make the sacrifice. <laughs> right. So, I mean, <laughs> if you say so. And, uh, <laughs> and, and you did uh, agree to that pretty quickly. There. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I just, I just, that, that's something again. We look back and go, man, that that sounds weird, a little backwards. Yes. Um, I don't understand. You know, why are they so tough on themselves? Again, it's all a picture of God's perfection. Right. Versus our sin and our darkness. And that we can never be made right. This is why we need Jesus. This is why he came as a lamb, as a sacrificial lamb, to take away our sins once and for all for us to have a real relationship with him. We don't have to go through a priest to have a relationship with Christ or to be made right with Christ. Um, this is this is powerful, really, really important stuff here. Exactly. And, you know, um, it sounds really bizarre. And yet, when I have really, really hurt someone, there is a penalty that you feel like should be paid to make that right again. And in that sense, I think God has built into us uh, a kernel of understanding. And it wasn't just the Jewish people that practiced uh, animal sacrifice. And that's part of why this feels so bizarre to us because we don't. But um, I think on a basic level, we can all understand that when there is injury, there needs to be restitution before, or, or a, a reconciliation before that relationship can go forward. Um, and I, I loved in here the connection between the Lamb of God and then switching to baptism in verse 31, uh, where John starts to talk about, I myself didn't know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. You know, that baptizing of water mirrored the um, ritual cleansing, which is the same kind of idea as this animal sacrifice. That you're cleaning the sin or the you're being humble and saying, I've done wrong, and here's a way for me to express that. And then John comes and says, you know, not just people who are new to the Jewish faith need to be cleaned, because they would do that when someone from outside the Jewish lines came in, they would give them a, a baptism, a ritual cleaning and say, okay, now you're accepted, right? Um, for all of that other cleaning, you probably didn't do. We're going to dunk you once and then we'll call it good, right? And then you can join us in continual washing, you know. Um, but he is saying not only the people on the outside, but the people on the inside also, the, what we're doing is not working and they need to be baptized into this as well. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really make that connection uh, when we even talked about this on Sunday. But this morning, as I was getting ready for this, um, I saw that parallel between the Lamb of God and the baptism and the washing, all kind of um, being different expressions of the same idea. Yeah, and it makes the the story of the woman with the issue of blood that we see yeah. so because that's that's we studied that sometime this past year as a church um or maybe the year before oh man um, <laughs> but uh uh you know it's we're not just talking about a woman that had this issue she lived a life of continual ritual cleansing where there were so many laws if you look back at at the 
books of the laws, you see that they had to clean and wash if their blood got on this or that. And she would have been constantly, like her life would have been consumed with if she wanted anybody to be around her or want to be around her, she had to make sure she was continually with this issue of blood, continually cleansing. Um, and I just get the picture of her, you know, 10 times a day having to go through this, uh, you know, I don't know if it was that drastic or what, but I mean, it was crazy. All the laws that were written out that were to keep the Israelite people clean and healthy. It wasn't just about spiritual things. It was also a health thing. Um, that's one thing I believe that made the Israelite people stand out in their day when we're talking about after, after those laws came through is they were a healthy nation too by a lot of the standards of the people around them um, because of these laws too. And so, um, yeah, it's just this, this idea of cleansing and baptism. Why is John the Baptist? It's really important um, to the yeah. overall context of what's going on. A hundred percent, Brian. And the word that's coming to my mind is I'm trying to think of parallel common day um, examples is grudge. You know, in the Old Testament. Go deeper when, with that. I know. There, you know, like the woman with the, with she, um, she had an offense that she could never overcome. There was always a grudge against her, right? Mm, okay. Like a, a, a grudge, like a wedge that you drive in relationships. And we do that to people now. There are certain things where if you cross that line, um, culturally, personally, people will say they can never come back from that, or they are forever trying to get back over that. But there is this grudge that can't be resolved, right? And um, that is where these people were living and where we live without Jesus, who comes and says, "Let's." that's the end of that system. I am not going to have you repent and then forever be trying to earn your way back into this yeah. that grudges uh, okay. release is, is what's going through my mind i like it i like it yeah good i'm glad i pulled it out there because i wasn't <laughs> sure i was gonna get it across <laughs> well like i like here too uh we went to 31 but even going back yes. a verse um just real briefly because we talked about it a lot in previous podcasts here with john but john the baptist makes a statement in verse 30 this is he of whom i said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. John, again, was born first before Jesus was in history and time and space as we know it and understand it and perceive it. But he's actually saying here, Christ has always been. Um, in essence, he was actually before me. He's always existed. Um, so that's that's meaningful. We don't need to spend time on that, but... Absolutely. Well, and we, we kind of come back to that in, in this next section, Brian, because uh, 32 through 34 is the next sort of title of Jesus that we hit. And there's a lot to discuss in there, too, where John says that um, he says this is what he witnessed. This is what he saw uh, when he saw Jesus being baptized. He saw the spirit that's God's spirit come down from heaven like a dove and remain on him. Um, I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me the man on whom you see the spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. 
I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one or God's son is more the more common um, translation. NIV has chosen one. But so, you know, what, what you just said is that John, John knows this God is God's son. This man is divine. I am not divine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, like you may not know it yet. And I know you may think he's just a man like me, but he was before me. <laughs> he has surpassed me because this man is God's son. He is divine. And uh, that is uh, the next title that we run into that is mm. amazing to me. Yeah. And I love it says, you know, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, that's God. Like John is in right. relationship with God, the father. Mm. He is being led by the spirit of God. And um, it's so, uh, to me, that's really powerful, Kristen, because here he is um, living in the wilderness, in the desert. He's living kind of this weird quirky lifestyle you know eating bugs and dipping them in honey and all that stuff you know and uh but here he is in real relationship with god being spoken to by god now he's had some upbringing um you can read um is it matthew that talks about um his parents experience yes. well and... elizabeth uh who was barren and his father Zechariah, who is the head priest. So I found that fascinating. John the Baptist is actually doing his job yeah. that he would have gotten by heritage, except he's doing it in a completely radical way. He's not in the temple. He's in right. the desert. And, yeah. and obviously, like, it takes Zacharias a minute to get there all the way. He yeah. doesn't believe that his wife can become pregnant. And because of his lack of faith, God takes away his ability to speak. Yeah. And uh, and it's not until he's, you know, Elizabeth um, gives birth that he's like, you know, and he, and he goes off on this beautiful um, poetic rant about God's good, you know, about all that stuff. But the impact of parents, <laughs> like I've never thought about it until this week as we discussed yeah. it, as I got to hear other people talk about this in Whitmer House Church and then at Deborah House Church is that his parents did did a few things right by John the Baptist. They embraced what God had called him to be and do. And they were probably huge on John the Baptist's life impact of releasing him to go to be what God has called him to be and live up to that and mm -hmm. not put there. It would have been so easy for Zacharias to, you know, try to do everything like was expected of him. They probably took some flack um, yeah. for how John lived his life. And, um, but why isn't he taking up the family business? Yeah. Right. Why, right. Why isn't he performing duties now? Somebody else has got to cover for him. He's out doing that weird mm -hmm. thing in the desert that's probably heresy. We don't even understand what he's talking <laughs> about, you know. <laughs> it, it just it just really challenged me this week, and I, I don't think I shared this at either of our Zoom calls, but it really challenged me. Like, I need to be a champion of what God has called my kids to, and I need to, you know, like like it's okay to say, hey, Plan B is usually pretty smart too. I, I think there's nothing wrong with that, but. Um, 
I, I think we need to, when we as parents, if we're prayerful, if we're thoughtful, and we want God's best for our kids, not our best or the world's best, um, there's a lot of letting go that has to happen. I'm like, uh, I'll get teary eyed just thinking about it. And I'm not even <laughs> there yet. I was going to say, you way. have no idea, but you are speaking <laughs> truth. You're totally speaking truth, Brian. And so often, yeah. what is best for your kids is not what's best for you. Ugh. I'm just, yeah. and, and, and it is best for you in the long run because what I know is best for my kids is what God has for them. And, um, but when that conflicts with what makes my life easy, what I know how to roll with, what I can handle, um, it is so hard to say, I'm still going to support you. I am not going to try to hold you back or pour water on that. I, um, in fact, here's a good example. Is this a practical way? Well, two things. One is my mom always said, and I thought this was so helpful, um, the verse that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And she said, that verse says the way he should go. It is not the way you think they should go. Right. And he said, I think that verse is about helping them find out who they're created to be in God and training them in that direction, yeah. not, not trying to impose something on them. Like you're so trying true. to equip them for what God has called them to do. And um, yeah. in my case, that means as someone who hated biology and is an engineer by trade, means that I just ordered another book on um immunology so that I can make small talk with my grandson. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, like, right, like, like that is what she is called to do. And I had to make a lot of adjustments and do a lot of studying to even have any idea what she's talking about. And that's a, kind of a surface level adjustment, but you are, you are speaking. Sorry, I got a little fired up and I stole your pedestal there, but that's I, a, oh, it's that, good. I'm but you are speaking, you're just speaking so much truth of my lived experience as mm. a parent of a 24 and an 18 year old. And those pivots, you know, Jay's made a big pivot this year. They are not easy on the parents and your role is to be supportive. So it's really hard to say, okay, it doesn't matter. I'll figure out how this affects me later. I'm here for you mm -hmm. first. It's not easy. Right. And, and and again, this just this is the first time for me that I've ever and probably because I'm a parent now. Yeah. Um, right. Is a big right. part of this. But I have never thought about the impact of John the Baptist's parents on him and how they supported him. Would have had to have how they would release him to go do what God has called him to do. And I think it speaks also, though, to the impact of their encounter with God. As they were working through being pregnant with John the Baptist and all that stuff and what John's role would be, um, it speaks to the power and the authority and the impact it had on them that they clung to it, apparently. You know, maybe they had, you know, maybe there were times John and his dad went back and forth, no doubt, yeah. if they were human at all. But the what we get to see the faithful testimony of is that John did live out his call right and he did walk faithfully in that and so supposedly we i think we can put into this picture here that zecharias and elizabeth also walked in faithfulness to what god had called them to um 
Yeah, so there's I think that's a, powerful. There is a beautiful rabbit trail that I'm I will I will restrain myself from, but I just want to mention um, in that line, which is the role of Mary and Elizabeth's friendship and family, you know, their cousins. Elizabeth is older. When Mary finds out she's pregnant with Jesus, she goes and spends time with Elizabeth, who is in the, the midst of her own miraculous pregnancy with John the Baptist. And um, that relationship, which we don't have as many details as I'd love to have, had yeah. got to be powerful and impactful on both of their abilities to carry out what God had um, handed both of them to walk through. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Let's see. I love the um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about for sure a little bit is, you know, I was thinking about this baptism with water versus baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the water is really that um, cleaning of sin. Yeah. Um, but when the Holy Spirit comes and remains, that is the infusion of new life. And that is the kind of the difference between the baptism that John was giving and what was being ushered in through Jesus mm -hmm. was not only that people were getting washed, but they were regenerated at that moment with God's spirit. Um, and that's, this is that first emerging of those two things that is yeah. going to become the way forward. You know, it's, it's really, it's really, and I've used the word a lot on this episode, it's really important and powerful what, what is <laughs> happening here, but really the Holy Spirit changes, Jesus changed everything, at least from our perspective, it was always a part of God's plan, right. um, but the Holy Spirit changed everything as well. In fact, Jesus said, it's better that I leave so the Holy Spirit can come and, gra and greater things you're going to do than what I have done, which is an incredible statement of Christ, to say that to a bunch of men and women yeah, who have sin natures, who make mistakes, um, who are going to get it wrong from time to time, you know, who, who fall short regularly. Um, and so this coming of the Holy Spirit, like I love that John is, is really ushering this concept in too, even now. Right. Um, as things, I mean, we're standing on the cusp of time as of, of how we measure time being split and, um, and here John is effectively preparing the way and making some statements about what is to come. Um, and then, um, his powerful statement too here in 34, and I have seen and testified that this is the son of God, bold statement by John here, bold, bold statement. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting. We'll, we'll read, um, next time about some of that impact of, of mm -hmm. that. And even some of his own disciples are going to say, I got to go be with Jesus. Um, which is Kristen, what I know you and I desire deeply as pastors and leaders. Um, we want people to say, Brian, I love you. Kristen, I love you. Thanks for the memories. <laughs> you know, thanks for teaching me some stuff. Point but I got to go. Direction. Yeah, I got to right. go and do this. I got to go start my own house church. I got to go start a Bible study during lunch break at work. Um, you know, I've got to 
now it's time for me to go and live out my following Jesus in a different way. Um, and that's the really the cry of our hearts as leaders is that when the time comes, and hopefully we'll be faithful enough as disciple makers, that we will have people say, just like they did with John, I'm going to go follow Christ um, and pursue the the new thing he has for me to do. And that's really our heart as as a church, I hope, I believe it is, um, and it's becoming that more and more, is that we operate and minister with open hands, ready to receive whoever God brings to us, whoever he sends us out to go find, which is really important to us, and um, that we keep those hands open, though, because there'll come a time when they will need to be released into their own day-to-day uh, -to -day context of living out the gospel at work, at home, in their neighborhood, with their families, at, in their hobbies and fun stuff they do and participate in, um, that we are all called and sent ones. And I, I just think it's so powerful to see John effectively, as a leader this challenges me, Kristen, that John continually points people to Jesus, not to himself. And then he lives that out, we'll find in the next um, few passages here in the first book of John. He releases those people that he's poured into to go live it out in the way that God has called them to. Mm. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of episode 21, Kristen. 21. Hey, we broke 20. We're legal. We're legal We're now, legal. Brian. <laughs> oh, good. I was so worried. Um <laughs> Uh, but it's it's a joy and a privilege to be able to be on this podcast with you, Kristen. And I hope that you, the listeners, are learning a lot, are encouraged by this, challenged by this. I hope I hope this isn't always easy to listen to either. Dare I say? I hope there are times where you're challenged and uncomfortable by how the Lord is guiding our discussion and how we're studying His Word, um, because it's out of that place of little bit of adversity and challenge that my pastor Jack Radcliffe, my friend Pastor Jack Radcliffe likes to say, he grows the most when there's a little bit of tension there. And we shouldn't be afraid of that tension. Not that Chris and I are ever intentionally creating tension for the sake of tension uh, or just to say stuff that might make you go, oh, um, but we just we want to be led of the spirit as we study God's word. And we want to go for it. We want to pursue what God has for us. That's why we're called Pursuit Friends Church. We are pursuing God with passion and abandon. And uh, so we're having fun doing that, though, too, um, which is really great. So if you guys would like to support Pursuit Friends Church in any way, you can visit us at PursuitFriends.org give and donate to the work that God is doing as we build this network of house churches and as we partner with other ministries as well locally and overseas um, to spread the gospel and to make disciples. Find us on Facebook. That is the best way to stay up to date with our day-to-day, week-to-week happenings. Um, and you can find Deborah House Church on Instagram as well um, if you would like to follow them and check in and see what's going on and get that. Um, we'd love for you to join us um, one of these Sundays uh, in person at 10 a.m. at Whitmer House or 6 p.m. at 
Deborah House Church. Whitmer House is in Canton. Deborah House is in the city of Green. And uh, uh, keep up to date on Facebook. We've been online the last few weeks because of COVID. And we've had, you know, different people sick too and just being careful. Um, but uh, here in the near future, we anticipate meeting in person again. Uh, and so just stay up to date on that follow us on facebook to get all that information but we would love to have you join us we discuss the bible you will rarely hear kristen or myself actually preaching or orating a sermon we love to talk through the word of god we love to hear what everybody else is experiencing and living in their walk with the lord and how we're studying that we also love to eat together so we always have a potluck uh, for us it's lunch at whitmer for deborah house it's dinner uh, and uh, we love to worship together too um, but most of all we love being together um, growing together in christ and becoming more and more like the disciples god has called us to and we love to talk about going uh, and how is God moving in our lives? So if you're interested in that, we'd love to have you join us. And until next time, thank you, Kristen, for your time. Thank you for being a part of this podcast and a part of Pursuit. And you guys as well listening. Hope you have a good week. Stepping in.